Pastor Xavier Reese on making right relationships. The type of individuals that we will encounter throughout life will confrontation are many. Some will be genuine and repentant. That's great. Still others may not receive the confrontation, but in time, they may come back and say, you know what, I was wrong, I'm sorry, can you forgive me? And that's great. The entire purpose of confrontation is restoration of a relationship, not mere castigation. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. When it comes to reliability, nothing beats a good track record. That's the lesson that Jacob is beginning to learn as he's exposed to the consistent goodness of God in his life. Let's join Pastor Xavier as he continues this study in the book of Genesis with the continuation of a message titled, I Want What You Have. Genesis chapter 31, we're going to be looking at the entire chapter. Jacob spent 20 years under the University of Uncle Laban. He received the blessing from his father, Isaac, and he was sent to search a wife out and to take him from the family of Naor. He was um, encountered by God at Bethel, as you know, and promised that he would be with him, bless him, bring him back to the land of his father. He had been deceived on his honeymoon night and given Liam instead of Rachel. He has acquired two wives. He ends up with 13 children, 12 sons and one daughter. He has made an arrangement with Laban to become financially secure, and God has made him very, very, very wealthy. Consequently, he is now seen as a threat, and things are becoming very uncomfortable. And so what we have before us here in this chapter is the departure of Jacob back to Canaan. The revelation for the departure, notice verse 1 and 2. The wealth of Jacob became a problem to his in-laws, making them envious. The prosperity of Jacob caused Laban to perceive Jacob as a liability rather than an asset. Verse 3 through 13 The God of Jacob reveals that he was to depart. So this was not a decision made by Jacob. God is the one who asked him to leave. In fact, commanded him. In verse 3, God spoke to Jacob. Yahweh commanded Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your family. Similar to the call of Abraham, except this is a return. Yahweh comforted Jacob, and I will be with you. This is a renewed promise from that of Bethel in chapter 28. 20 years earlier, God did not forget him. God's timing is a whole different thing. So don't think that God has forgotten you. It says, and God remember Noah. (laughs) Hmm. Notice in verse 4, Jacob calls Rachel and Leah to the field to his flocks and spoke to them privately because it was a touchy thing that was going on. The response of Rachel and Leah was favorable We get that in verse 14 through 16. This is what he was hoping for, but he was looking for it. They agreed with Jacob. Is there still any portion of inheritance for us in our father's house? Laban had taken everything for himself and was going to give it to his sons and had given it to them. He kind of discarded his daughters. Verse 15, they saw themselves also having been merchandised. We are not considered strangers by him. Are we not? Yes, he's treated like strangers. He's not 
hasn't been loving and affectionate towards us. He's cast us off. In verse 17 and 18, Jacob quickly made preparations. He prepared his family. Jacob rose up. He set his sons and his wives on camels. He prepared all the livestock, his possessions that he had acquired there in Padaram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. And then Rachel made her own preparations. Verse 19, she's much like her daddy and has become like her husband too. It's a great combination, huh? For evil. She did it when Laban was shearing the sheep, verse 19 tells us. She stole the household gods of Laban. Notice the word there, household gods, teraphims. They're idol images and believed to be inheritance rights uh, for the one who possessed them. The revelation of the departure was God-ordained. It was time to leave. And some of you, God says, it's time to leave where you're at. <laughs> In verse 22 to 24, the pursuit of Jacob by Laban was equally in haste. Notice in verse 22, Laban was told the third day that Jacob had fled. Probably freaked him out pretty good. Uh, he knew he couldn't waste time. And in verse 23, Laban pursued without rest. He took his brethren with him. He pursued for seven days. He overtook him in the mountains, it says there, of Gilead. And so Laban then had a little visit that he didn't expect, a visit from God in verse 24. <laughs> but God had come to Laban, the Syrian, in a dream by night. And notice God told Laban, be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. The warning was mercy. Laban did not know the Lord. Joshua 24.2 tells us the family of Naor were pagans. They didn't know Yahweh. Now the confrontation of Jacob by Laban was very hostile. Look at verse 25. Laban caught up with Jacob. In verse 26, Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? that you have stolen away unknown to me. The very same words that Jacob told Laban the morning after his honeymoon. What have you done? Well, tables are turned now. This is complete hypocrisy. Laban is a phony. He accuses in verse 26, Jacob of forcing them as captives by the sword. And carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword. You forced them at the, at the point of your sword. They would have never left. You know, I mean, the stuff that Laban is saying is so off the wall. But listen, listen. This is where Laban lives. That's why it's called self-deception. He pleads ignorance. Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? Verse 27 says. So Laban attempts to present himself as a loving, affectionate family head. For I might have sent you away with joy, song, timbrel, and harp. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Weedy, weedy, weedy. And then in verse 28, Laban tries to make Jacob be the bad guy. And you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughter. Oh, he pulls the emotional card. And so in verse 29, Laban attempts to intimidate Jacob and present himself as godly. You have surely gone because you're great longing for your father's house. I understand that you're a little homesick. I mean, you know, it's been about 20 years. <laughs> His hostility. But why did you steal my gods? Ooh, now the truth comes out. I think this is why he really came after him. <laughs> the sheep and the gods. Now notice the examination of the camp by Laban 
was permitted by Jacob here in verse uh, 31 through 35. In 31, Jacob declared to Laban the reason for his leaving it in haste, because I was afraid, for I said, perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. In other words, I didn't want to get in a conflict. You know, you take my, my, my wives away from me, I'm going to have to fight you. And it, you, don't, you don't want to give yourself that scenario. He leaves. Jacob declares to Laban his innocence in verse 32, to the point of death. He says, with whomsoever you find your gods, do not let him live. He doesn't know Rachel has him. And to be presented before all in the presence of our brethren, identify what I have of yours and take it with you. And notice to his own ignorance, for Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. The marriage relationship is not presented as the best from the very beginning. There's seekers, there's manipulation, there's all kinds of stuff going on. And these are the patriarchs, okay? Laban searches the entire camp in verse 33 to 35. In 33, Laban went into Jacob's tent, Leah's tent, the two maids, found nothing. Then he went into Leah's tent there again. Uh, after that, he went into Rachel's tent. And the commentary in verse 34 says, Now Rachel had taken the household idols, put them in the camel's saddle, and sat on them. This is, this is really funny. It's really comical. And, and, and Laban searches all about the tent, but did not find them. How interesting that these gods, who Laban was going to pray for protection or whatever the case is, that now they become so inept and so crippled that by her sitting on them, if in fact she was on a menstrual cycle, they had become unclean now. <laughs> the deceptiveness of Rachel is given to us in verse 35. And she said to her father, let it not displease my Lord. I cannot arise before you for the man or women is with me. <laughs> She's learned from her daddy and her husband. She's a clever gal. The futile effort by Laban was, and he searched, but did not find the household idols. The confrontation due to the departure backfired, finding nothing. <laughs> Make sure when people accuse you, they find nothing. Very important. Now notice, lastly, you have the resolution of the departure. Verse 36 here all the way to the close. Verse 35 and 37, Jacob protested. His innocence. Jacob lashes back, rebuking Laban before all. There was a time. Now is the time. The boiling point is given. Then Jacob was angry. It means to be hot, furious, incensed, rebuked. Here, by Jacob. There's the right place, the right time, as we'll see. The plead, Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? And so Jacob called for the evidence of his accusations in verse 37. The futility of his search is declared. Although you have searched all my things, what part of your household thing have you found? Now, the guys that came with Laban are listening. They're witnesses to all this. The call to present the evidence is given. Set it here before my brethren and your brethren that they may judge between us both. Oh, Laban's busted. And so in verse 38 to 43, Jacob rebukes and exposes Laban's injustice by his faithful service. 
Verse 38, he did not diminish the flock in any way. Listen, these 20 years I have been with you. Your youths and your female goats have not miscarried their young. So he had been so diligent a shepherd that he got the most out of all his flock. He cared for them. He nurtured them. And I have not eaten the rams of your flock. He had the right to, but he didn't abuse that right. Verse 39, he did not exercise his right of injury loss. That which was torn by beasts, I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. Exodus 22, 9 through 11 and 13 tells us that. If a bear came or a lion and took a sheep away, all you had to do was return just a little piece of the ear or a hoof or something, and then it was evidence and you weren't charged for it. Jacob says, I, I bore the loss. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. This was wrong on Laban's part. And then in verse 40, he was ever present with the flock. There I was in the day, the drought consumed me, and the frost by night. He endured hardship, and my sleep departed from my eyes. He had many sleepless nights. And yet now, he says, he was taken advantage financially. Look at verse 41. Thus I have been in your house 20 years. I served you 14 years for your two daughters, six years for the flock, and you have changed my wages 10 times. He took advantage of his own son-in-law. He is exposed here. And then he says he was protected by God. Look at verse 42. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac, had been with me, Surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. He's accusing and exposing Laban here as dishonest and wicked for what he is. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Wow, he ties them both together now. God has vindicated me and finally stopped you. Sometimes we have to wait a long time to see that happen. But that's God's department. Look at verse 43. Laban was less speechless and with no defense. So what does he do? Listen, listen. He changes the subject. <laughs> Isn't that what we do? Oh, well, but, but, you know, but you don't, but you did, you know. He take a left turn. He's arrogant. Listen to him in verse 43. And Laban answered and said to Jacob, These daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children, and the flock is my flock. All that you see is mine. No, it isn't. But he believes it is. And when someone believes something to be true, it is true. A lot of people live a life of lies, and they believe them as truths. He plays the victim. Ooh, our society, bad word, victim. But what can I do this day to these, my daughter, and to your, their children whom they have born? I'm so nice, you know. No. Verse 44 and 45, Laban pleaded them for a truce by a covenant. He knows he's busted. He's backed up against the wall. <laughs> so what does he ask for? Listen, listen, what he's good at? Protection. It's all about Laban. Verse 44, Laban feels a need for protection from Jacob. Now, therefore, come, let us make a covenant, you and I. And the reason was that God was with him. And let it be a witness between uh, you and me. And the memorial of the covenant is given in verse 45 and 6. 
So Jacob took a stone, set in the pillar, like in Bethel 28, 18. Then Jacob said to his brethren, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there on the heap. And the meaning of the memorial is given to us in 47. The two names, Laban called it Jaher Sabadutha, which is the Aramaic word and name for a witness heap. This is what Laban spoke. But Jacob called it Galid. This is the Hebrew name, mound of witness, because Jacob spoke Hebrew. But knowing Hebrew, he can understand the other. Being there 20 years, he became very proficient. And the commentary of the names is given to us in verse 48 and 49. And Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, its name is called Galid. The word play is a mound of witnesses due to the untrustworthiness of the relationship. This is not a positive covenant. <laughs> He's saying, you know, you're such a dirty dog, I can't trust you, so somebody else has to watch out between us. Interesting. Two witnesses were necessary under the law for many things, sometimes three, Deuteronomy 19:15. And also he calls it Mizpah because he said, may the Lord Yahweh watch between you and me when we are absent one from another. The meaning of Mizpah is watchtower, but the implication is negative again in regards to the trustworthiness of each other. I don't trust you, Jacob, so may your God Yahweh watch over you for me, over me. Interesting. The specifics of the covenant are given in verse 50 through 52. He says, if you afflict my daughters, which he wasn't going to do that, but again, Laban is such a dog. If you take other wives, who wants some more wives besides the ones he has? He has enough problems. Although no man is with us, see, God is with between you and me. And then in verse 51 and 2, Laban said to Jacob, here is this heap. And here is that, this pillar, which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass beyond this point to you, and you will not pass beyond this point of this pillar to me for harm. So here's the boundary line. I will not bother you. You will not bother me. We will not wage war, wage war against one another. This is a peace covenant, a peace pact. Laban feels threatened, vulnerable. He has seen what God can do for Jacob. He's afraid. The oath of the covenant in verse 53. The God of Abraham, the God of Naor, and the God of their father judged between us. Most believe that Laban is referring to the pagan gods, the gods of Naor, not Yahweh, because he's pagan already, as I showed you. Um, Genesis 12, 1 and 2, and then Joshua 24, 2 tells us that they were pagans. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, the fear of God, fear of Yahweh. In 54, the sealing of the covenant is given to us. Then Jacob offered sacrifice on the mountain, the acceptance of the covenant, and called his brethren to eat bread, and they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. The departure of Laban and Jacob then gives, is given to us in 55. And early in the morning, Laban arose, kissed his sons, his daughters, and blessed them. I'm sure there was not any real heartache by the family there. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. Hmm. The time to plead one's innocence and defend oneself has its place, but it is not always right away. 
Sometimes God may tell us to be quiet and it may never be known. Can you handle that? God knows you're innocent. God's timing is very important. And when it does happen, it must be done in the right attitude. Listen to Galatians 6. One, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. In other words, we confront one another the way we would want to be confronted. You say, you know, can I speak to you? You know, I've heard something. I don't think it's true, but I need to, under, I need to get it straight from your mouth because I don't want to run with lies and gossip. Or you say, hey, you've been talking smack about me? Now, which one do you think is going to give you positive results? <laughs> the time for exposing a person is equally important. There are times that the circumstance calls for immediate action. There's, you don't have to pray about it. You have to deal with it. Then there are other times when we have to bite our tongue and ask God for wisdom and prudence for the right timing. There are yet other times when God will open the door and give us the green light and the person will receive it and repent. And then at other times, even though the green light is there, their heart will only be hardened. They'll deny everything. And sometimes God himself will take care of that person. It happens. James 1.5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Every day I have to depend on, Lord, how do I handle this? We pray every morning as the elders here in the morning. And we pray, Lord, give us wisdom for today when somebody calls on the phone, somebody comes in. Because we don't know what you have. We, give us the wisdom, the direction. The type of individuals that we will encounter throughout life for confrontation are many. Some will be genuine and repentant, and that's great. But others are actors and hypocrites and merely playing along. Therefore, we must use caution and prudence lest we make ourselves vulnerable over and over again foolishly. I am not to do that. Still others may not receive the confrontation, but in time they may come back and say, you know what, I, I was wrong, I'm sorry, can you forgive me? And that's great. And yet others will only get worse and become more hostile. Had some of those? Welcome to life. The entire purpose of confrontation is restoration of a relationship, not mere castigation. 1 Peter 3, 10 through 11 says, He who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil that beats behind the ivory cage and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him speak peace and pursue it. Do all that you can on your part doesn't mean that God's going to give you a halo that everybody can see. It means that you're right with God. You've done the right thing. The resolution of the departure was wisdom. Here you have the departure of Jacob back to Canaan. Revealed through these three movements. So practical for you and I. The revelation for the departure was God ordained. Some of you are in places and with people that God says, it's time for you to leave. The confrontation due to the departure backfired, finding nothing. Some of you need to clean your house up so the accusations are not true. 
and the resolution for the departure was wisdom. We need to be discreet in our relationships. I want what you have. I started it all. <laughs> that was the signal to go. Pastor Xavier Reese and the importance of making wise decisions based on the will of God. And you can pick up a copy of today's thought-provoking lesson, I Want What You Have. It's available on CD for just $4. And this study also covers what Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together. So the title to ask for once again is, I Want What You Have. Or simply mention today's date when you write, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for telling us the call letters of this station when you contact us. Even though we may mess it up, God's plan is always the best path to follow. Find out why when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com